dismissed. <laughs> and let's take our Bibles and we will turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's great to see all ages worship together. We enjoy the spontaneity of our little ones. <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 18 will be our text. And as we come to this closing thought that we find in the book of 2 Timothy, we have already seen that Paul was sharing with Timothy his understanding that his days were numbered, that very shortly he would be going before the executioner that his time of work and ministry was over. But what would become of the ministry that Paul had engaged in? We find hope starting in verse 9 of 2 Timothy chapter 4 because Paul begins to share with us that even after he's gone, the work of the ministry would go on because the work of the ministry didn't just depend on him. It also depended on the work of those who were around him, his co-workers. And it also depended, most of all, on the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we want to understand this morning. Ministry is so much more than one person. Ministry is driven by the Lord. And as you serve God, you know what you're going to find? There are going to be people who will come alongside you and help you in the work. And there are going to be people who will disappoint you in the work. And sometimes the people who disappoint you were once with you. But you know what you find? There's one who's always there. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that we can be truly thankful. Now, as we come to the ninth verse, what we want to see is Paul beginning a list of people that were very precious to him. And he continues it in verses 19 and following as well. Now, sometimes when we read texts like this, we sort of feel like we're hearing a Grammy speech where they name a bunch of unknown people, and we kind of say, okay, um, I'm glad Paul mentions all these people, but I have no idea who they are. What we want to do this morning is look at some of these people. We won't look at them all for the sake of time. But we're going to see that each one of these people had a huge contribution to the life and to the ministry of the Apostle Paul and to us, even, as their ministry continued by the people that they led to Christ and discipled. We are here today because we stand on the shoulders of great people of faith who were faithful to serving the Lord, and we need to recognize that. Now, what Paul begins to share with us is the strength that can be gained from faithful people who are in our lives. And we want to begin, first of all, with verse 9, Paul is addressing Timothy, and what we find in Timothy is that son in the faith. Paul did not have naturally born children, but he had many who were sons in the faith, people that he was able to build in their lives an appreciation and love for God, 
and thereby carry on the work of the ministry. And Timothy was certainly one of those. Notice what Paul says, just a very brief sentence as he addresses Timothy. But what he says is this, do your best to come to me quickly. Now, when we see Paul's relationship with Timothy, we can understand why Paul would ask Timothy to come quickly. If, as verses 6 through 8 were indicating, he knew that his time was short, that his life had been poured out as a drink offering, that the time had come for his departure, he knew that he would soon die. And isn't it interesting, when we're about to die, we want our loved ones around us, don't we? In the best of all worlds, we have those who are most precious to us right there with us as we get ready to leave this world and go into the presence of God. And that was what Paul wanted. He wanted to see Timothy that one more time. He had become a true son in the faith. That's what he calls him in the first chapter of the first letter to Timothy. And then in this letter, his dear son. You can see that bond, that relationship that existed between Paul and Timothy because Paul had been such a faithful son in the faith. When we look at other passages that describe Timothy, we can see why Paul felt this way about him. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul shares with us that Timothy was someone that he trusted. And notice how he again addresses him as the son that he loves. In 1 Corinthians 4.17, it says this, For this reason, I am sending to you, Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Corinth was a troubled church. Who did Paul send to sort it out? Timothy. Why? Because he trusted him. Because he knew his character. Because when Paul wasn't able to go himself, he would send someone that he had trained to carry on the work. And you know, we all need to keep that in mind. Who takes my place when I'm gone? Whose life am I building into so that they can carry on the work of God when I'm gone. That's what Paul asked. And his answer, in part, was Timothy. One other thought about Timothy. His character is really brought out as Paul writes to the Philippians about Timothy. He said this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out to his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. What is Timothy's character like? He thinks about others. But most of all, he looks to the interests of Jesus Christ. We should all be like Timothy. Looking out for the interests of others, but most of all, looking out for the interests of Jesus Christ. Paul recognized that value in him. And so he sent Timothy because of that character that he had in these areas. But then the list goes on. When you skip down to the next people who are mentioned who were very close to Paul, in the middle of the 10th verse, and we're going to come back for Demas in just a few moments, you find Crescens who had gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Now, I wondered when I read this if the people of Dalmatia were actually called Dalmatians. I'm not sure. But we don't, do know that Timothy was spotted there, so we can uh, take that at face value. 
But let's look at what we find with Crescens and with Titus. Crescens isn't mentioned much in Scripture. As a matter of fact, this is the only text that we find. But we do know this. Since Paul was sending him to Galatia, he must have been an important figure in Paul's ministry. Galatia was a very troubled church. When you read the book of Galatians, you know what you discover? A lot of problems, a lot of doctrinal confusion had entered this church. So by virtue of Paul sending him to the church at Galatia, he must have been a solid representative of Jesus Christ. But then Titus is also mentioned. Now when we come to the book of Titus, we see something mentioned about him that's very important. Flip over one page to the book of Titus. And look at how Paul feels about Titus as well. In Titus chapter 1, verse 4, it says this, To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God our Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord. Titus was considered by Paul to be another true son in the faith. Someone that he had poured his life into. Somebody that he had worked with. Someone he could count on. As a matter of fact, we can see how much he counted on Titus because look at the fifth verse. The fifth verse goes on to say, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Titus was a troubleshooter of of sorts. Somebody that was going in to straighten out what was a mess on the Isle of Crete. And when you read about those who were the citizens of Crete, that was a tall undertaking. They were a people who struggled with morality and other issues. So Titus going there, Paul must have really trusted him and sent him because he was counting on his ability. And the list continues. After we find Crescens and Titus, in verse 11 we see two more figures that are really interesting. First of all, Luke. Now, we know Luke as the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. But Luke was so much more. When we look at stories of Luke in the Scripture, Paul mentions him in passage after passage after passage as accompanying him. Luke was a doctor, so perhaps he was at Paul's side because of medical issues. But we also know that Luke was a tremendous writer. As a matter of fact, when we look at Luke and Acts, those are two of the longest books in the New Testament. Many believe that Luke was perhaps assisting Paul in writing his letters because we know that Paul had vision problems from some of his references in the texts. Luke was a faithful servant. He was always at Paul's side. He was that friend that he could count on. And you know, we all need those who stand by our side. That's exactly what Luke did. Luke was a person who was there, constantly standing at the side of the Apostle Paul. I got so excited about my ministry, or my message, I forgot to advance the slides so you can catch up with what we have so far. But after Luke is mentioned... We then come to Mark. Now Mark is an interesting story because Mark is one who was salvaged from a lack of commitment. When you read the book of Acts, you see that the Apostle Paul was visiting various churches. And he had a group that was coming with him to help him in his ministry. What happened? John Mark, during the course of one of his missionary travels, went back home. 
The Apostle Paul felt that he should have stayed the course and that his abandonment was a sign of weakness. So a little bit later, he goes on another missionary journey, and the person that he had ministered with most, Barnabas, who was a relative of John Mark, said, let's bring Mark along again. Paul looked at him and said, you know, he abandoned us on our last journey. We're not going to bring him along. Barnabas said, he has value. We want to see him develop in his ministry. Let's not let one failure be something that marks him for the rest of his life. Now, who was right in that situation? Perhaps both of them were. You see, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, had a ministry to where he took people and nurtured them in their faith. That was his ministry. So his special place in his heart for John Mark was, I want to see him develop. I want to see him grow. Paul, on the other hand, said, I have important work to do. I need people that I can count on. And if I have a team with me that I can't count on, then that's a distraction. And that's something that I can't bring on this journey. Each of them had a unique niche. Each of them had a unique responsibility. And each of them followed that. Apparently, Barnabas' work paid off. Because look at what Paul says about Mark here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Quite a turnaround, wasn't it? Is no longer John Mark the deserter. Now he's John Mark, valuable to me in my ministry. And you know that offers us so much hope, doesn't it? Sometimes we look at people and we think, man, are they ever going to get it? Are they ever going to really understand what it is to get serious about their relationship with the Lord? And we get discouraged. But you know what? Through prayer, through the work of God in people's lives, people change. And we want to be careful not to cast somebody in the same mold all the time. We need to be careful to understand that God does a work in people's lives to transform them. And sometimes we need to give God the opportunity to work in their lives. They're just not there yet. But they get there. And that's what happened with Mark. So it's a wonderful story. Then when we come to verse 12, we find the story of Tychicus. Now, Tychicus is mentioned several times in Paul's letters as a faithful servant of Christ and as an encourager. As a matter of fact, we find him mentioned in the book of Ephesians. And by the way, Tychicus was sent to work with the Ephesians. I just can't seem to get this uh, slide thing down this morning. But uh, let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in our Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. Now, do you see how Tychicus is described in this text? He's a faithful servant in the Lord. Wouldn't that be a great description to have? Here recorded in the eternal word of God, described as a faithful servant. I hope that when people look back on my life, they can say, you know, Rob was a a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. And we should all want that. That's the way we want to be remembered, and that's how Paul remembered Tychicus. Finally, in verse 13, we come to another name, and his name is Carpus. Verse 13 says, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Now, Carpus was sanctuary for Paul during his travels. 
And we know that he was sanctuary for Paul because he left important things with Carpus. Notice he mentions that he left his cloak and his scrolls and his parchments. Now, the cloak would be important because, hey, you didn't run to Walmart and pick one up for 20 bucks. They were handmade. They were something that was very expensive and very important as you travel. But then the parchments and the scrolls. Once again, books were hard to come by. Paul was a scholar. So for him to leave something so precious with this individual demonstrated a great deal of trust and it demonstrated that way that he felt at home with Carpus because he could trust him with very important valuables. Now, in verses 19 through 22, we see a list of others. I think you get the idea. Paul had important people surrounding him, and that gave strength to him in his ministry. And I think this is something that we need to understand. When you serve God, there's no place for the Lone Ranger. We need others around us to be effective. That's why God calls us together in a church body. He doesn't want us to just launch out on our own and have nothing to do with the community of faith. He wants us to be accountable to one another. He wants us to support one another. He wants us to do the work of the ministry together. That was important to Paul, as we see here in this text, and it should be important to all of us. Each and every one of us should see the value, the tremendous value that is there in those around us who serve along our side as we serve Jesus Christ. But you know, when we're serving God, there are sometimes disappointments. We gain our strength from faithful people, but we also suffer from unfaithful people who hurt us. Let's go back to verse 10. And we see the story of Demas. And he was one who was secular in his values. Now, Demas is rather interesting because we find him mentioned in a couple of other books. The book of Colossians and the book of Philemon both mention Demas as a part of Paul's missionary team. So apparently at some point, he was a faithful servant right alongside the Apostle Paul. But something happened. 2 Timothy was written approximately five years after Colossians and Philemon. And in that five-year interim, something happened to Demas. Because notice what Paul says in his description of Demas. For Demas, because he loved this world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. What caused him to leave the work of the ministry and Paul's side? He loved the world. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. Literally, the translation is, he loved this age. So it could be, and some scholars believe that what had happened was he feared for his life because the Apostle Paul was soon to be executed, he looked and said, so what happens when they go to the second level and start executing the people who hung around Paul? I'm out of here. That's a possibility. But others believe that it was simply a love that he had for the things of this world. That he became too involved in 
all of the things and philosophies and thoughts of this world. And as a result, he became so distracted, he left the faith. Whichever the case, Demas was one who greatly hurt Paul. He was one that caused him a great deal of pain. And then we come to another one, Alexander. When you go down to verse 14, Alexander is mentioned as one who had strong opposition to the Apostle Paul. Now, there's debate as to whether the Alexander mentioned here is the same Alexander that's mentioned in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy, Paul talks about some who have rejected the sound teaching that he offered and have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Now, just as it would be good to be recorded in the Word of God as a faithful servant, it would be tremendously bad to be recorded in the Word of God as somebody who abandoned the faith, who shipwrecked their faith, and who had been handed over to Satan that they might be taught not to blaspheme. How would you like that as your eternal remembrance in God's Word? That's where Alexander was. Now, we do have some different insight into Alexander here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, because in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he's called Alexander the metal worker. Now, some believe that this is a, perhaps a different Alexander than the one mentioned in 1 Timothy, because Alexander was a very common name, and when Paul isolates him as the metal worker, uh, he could be showing him to be different from the other. But here's the thing. We might have insight into some of the problem that Alexander had with Paul by the way he designates him. Literally, the, the word that's translated metal worker is coppersmith. And many of the metal workers in Paul's day were people who cast idols. Basically, their primary job was fashioning the metal into an idol so that people could worship the idol. Perhaps Alexander's opposition to the Apostle Paul was, Paul wasn't good for business. If you have somebody receiving Christ as Savior, turning away from idols, there goes the business. So we don't know his motivation, all of its speculation, but we do know this, he was one who strongly opposed the message that the Apostle Paul gave. And you know there are going to be people that will be a thorn in our flesh when it comes to ministry. They will oppose us, they will oppose the ministry, they will oppose that message. Uh, we will find people who will become actually very militant in their objection to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Now, continue in the text, and we come to verse 16. And in verse 16, not only do we suffer from those who kind of turn away and go back to the world, those who have a strong opposition, sometimes from the very onset of our ministry, but sometimes there are just those unnamed deserters and they seek safety. And I want you to look at verse 16 where it says this. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. Can't you sense the loneliness and the hurt that comes from the Apostle Paul? You know, sometimes ministry can be a very lonely thing. Serving Jesus Christ can be terribly, terribly lonesome. When you are taking a stand and others are turning away, it's very scary, very lonely. And that's what Paul is bringing out in this text. He felt all alone because those around him left him 
at his greatest time of need. He's going to appear before the Roman government. They would try to force him to recant his faith because if they could get Paul to recant his faith, what a trophy. So there he is, pressured all alone and yet faithful. But how did he do it with no one there? We'll see in just a moment he did it through the strength of the Lord. But I want you to look at Paul's perspective toward those who deserted him in the last part of that 16th verse. May it not be held against them. There are going to be people who will disappoint you when you serve the Lord. There are going to be people who will hurt you and say hurtful things and leave you and make you feel completely deserted. But you have to forgive. If you don't forgive, it becomes a bitterness, a hurt in you that's going to affect the way you serve Christ for the rest of your life. Here in the Word of God, Paul's immediate response to those who deserted him was very clear. May it not be held against them. Now for Alexander, he took a different tract. He said, may the Lord punish him according to what he deserves. But Paul was understanding of those who fled during the time of desertion because of fear. He understood that it's a fearful thing to have torture held right out in front of you because of your faith. And so those who departed, he was saying to the rest of the church, and even in a prayer, may it not be held against them. That's the perspective that we need to have when people hurt us. Don't carry it with you. Don't be someone who looks at this and says, boy, I'm just not going to be satisfied until they experience what they did to me. Hope for the best. Love them and forgive them. And you'll find that your life is enriched, not embittered. Final thought I want us to look into this morning. Through all the people who stood with him and all the people who abandoned him, Paul had one consistent source of strength. One hope. And that hope is the salvation that comes from the Lord. When we look at verse 17, it follows right on the heels of verse 16, which talks about how people turned away. No one was there to support him during his defense. And then a key word right at the beginning of verse 17. But the Lord stood at my side. Let me say this. When there are those moments of loneliness and you feel deserted and abandoned by all those around you, there's one who always stands at your side. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great hope? We're never alone. We're never abandoned. Two passages of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 13, 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We find our security in God. Now, some people try to find it in money. And what do we find? The money goes. One illness, one bad investment, one theft, gone. 
gets out of there. But there's something that we can put our security in, and that's our relationship with Jesus Christ. And he promises us, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. What a hope. When Paul felt his most abandoned, he remembered there's one who stands by my side. Let me encourage you. I know that in a room this size, there are many people who are feeling abandoned, sorrow, loneliness, depression, fear, all kinds of emotions. Some brought by circumstances, some brought by people. There's always one who stands by your side. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. That word strength in the original language is a wonderful word. As you know, our Bibles are translated from Greek into English. And the particular word that's translated strength in this text is a word that we get our word dynamic from. Now, dynamic is something that causes real change in something. And what Paul is saying is that's the kind of strength that the Lord gives to us. When he gives us strength to make it through something, it's a strength that actually produces something and changes things in our lives and around us. That's what God does for us. He stands by our side. He gives us strength to carry on. This is the Lord that we serve, the Lord that we love, the Lord that we have a personal relationship with as well. So I encourage you this morning, no matter where you are in your life, that relationship with the Lord is your anchor, your strength. The Lord is by your side if you have trusted him as your personal savior. He's right there with you. And his strength is there to encourage you. But then Paul continues. And I want you to look at his outlook in the rest of that 17th verse. But the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength. And look at what the Lord gave him strength to do. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Wow. You know what his strength enabled him to do? To take an obstacle and turn it into an opportunity. The obstacle was imprisonment. The opportunity, all of the guards. As he went before court to appear and give his own response to the charges, the gospel was clearly given. We need to understand that the Lord standing by us and the Lord giving us strength doesn't mean that he will deliver us to a bed of roses. As a matter of fact, sometimes we'll be right in the very eye of the storm. But what he does strengthen us to do is honor and obey him and bring about godly Results that are far beyond us. And that's what we should want to do as well. Our commitment isn't to comfort or convenience. Our commitment is to the Lord. 
And when those difficult circumstances come, we need to look at them and say, how can I use this difficult set of circumstances to honor Jesus Christ? How can I take this obstacle and make it an opportunity? And this isn't just semantics. I believe this is something the Apostle Paul believed with all of his heart. I have an opportunity to share with this guard that I wouldn't have access to otherwise. I have an opportunity to share with the leadership of Rome the gospel of Jesus Christ that I wouldn't have otherwise. So rather than curling up in a corner somewhere and sucking his thumb and saying, woe is me, he looked at it as a chance to share Christ. And we should look at life in the same way. Final thought. Salvation comes from the Lord because he stands by our side and strengthens us, but he also saves us from the lion's mouth and every evil attack. Look at the last part of that 17th verse and notice what it says, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Now, what does that mean? The lion's mouth was a saying in Paul's day. And you can catch the imagery, can't you? If you're in a lion's mouth, you're done for, right? You know, I uh, love going to zoos. Those lions are impressive from a distance. But I would not want to be in the cage with that thing. I went to Lincoln Park Zoo recently, and this lion was at the glass there at the side. And there was a little three-year-old girl who had her face right up to the glass, and the lions are going, you know, scratching at the glass. And I thought, whoa, <laughs> you know, that would scare me as an adult, but... I guess she just saw him as Simba or something from, you know, <laughs> the movies. But being in the lion's mouth, that's, that's sure death. And so to be rescued from the lion's death is Paul's testimony. Jesus Christ has rescued me again and again and again from sure death. But there's another image that we find of the lion in Scripture. And that is from the Apostle Peter. Satan is a roaring lion roaming about seeking whom he may devour. And so it could be that Paul was saying in this text, being rescued from the lion's mouth meant Satan does not have victory. Even in this. And then look at the last part, verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. With the context of the 18th verse, it sort of leads us to believe that Paul was referring to Satan's attacks right there at the close of that 17th verse because he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. Remember, when you are attacked on a spiritual warfare front, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Scripture makes that clear. We can count on the strength of God in the face of of satanic opposition. But then, when he talks about being rescued and brought safely to his heavenly kingdom, there are those who might look at that and say, well, Paul's giving up. He's not counting on God to rescue because he plans to go right to heaven. He plans to die. Let me say this about death. Death is not a defeat for the child of God. It's deliverance. It's rescue. 
What's the worst man can do to us? Torture us and take our lives, right? And what the Romans might view as defeat, where they looked and said, finally, we killed Paul, Paul views as victory because he leaves this life to go someplace far, far, far better into the presence of his God, into the heavenly kingdom. Let me say this. All of this faith that is expressed in this passage is a faith that we can have too. Don't look at this text and say, well, that was just because it's the Apostle Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. Of course, he's going to be spiritual and godly and view things like this. There are people who face these same issues today all over the world and demonstrate the same faith. And let me say this. If God were to call you into similar circumstances through persecution, God would give you that same strength as well. The same God who stood by and strengthened Paul stands by and strengthens us. It wasn't Paul that was so strong and so brave. It was Christ in Paul that made him these things. And the same thing is true of us. If we stand for Jesus Christ, it's because Jesus Christ stands in us. If we do things that make a difference and truly matter in this world, it's the dynamic power of Jesus Christ working through us. So my encouragement to you and to all is this. Draw upon his strength. Rejoice in the people who work by your side. Grieve for those who turn away, but don't become bitter. And always remember, Jesus Christ is by your side, strengthening you so that you can face anything and bring glory to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. And God, my prayer is that each person here will know what it is to draw upon your strength, to see you empower us that we might live for you, taking obstacles and turning them into opportunities, Lord. May we be strong in what we do in the power of your strength. And Lord, I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.